Good morning. Uh, I'm going to be reading a poem by Lois Saylor from her collection titled Poems from the Beatitudes, the Beautiful Sacred. Beyond Persecution. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. These are the long ones, stretched and proving, the ones who do not bow, do not bend to fit their necks into foreign yokes. They choose truth over logic, feel the sting of a steel wind, know the piercing noise of an ill-sounding gong that spells their name. They head in a called direction, knowing what love is. These are the ones who died to live, and their inheritance is not found in earth. Good morning, everyone. It's good to be back. I missed you all. It's all right. You don't have to miss me. I just missed you. It's okay. It's okay, guys. Real cool. Um, this morning, we're actually going to be wrapping up our series on the Beatitudes, um, Blessings, Promises of the Kingdom. Um, as we've been doing, uh, we're going to read the entire Beatitude. We had it at the scripture reading this morning, so I thought it'd be a good bookend as well. Um, so we're going to have it up front. If you have a Bible, turn to Matthew 5. Um, I'll be reading the first 12 verses. Again, these Beatitudes are a composite picture. This is Jesus saying, this is what you're supposed to look like when you follow me. This is Jesus saying, take a bite, take a snapshot of this whole picture but be reminded that these promises, these blessings I'm giving you are the same blessings my father gave in the Old Testament. And as usual, the call here is Jesus makes this call. Are we willing to listen? Jesus, Jesus teaches. Are we willing to learn? And uh, lastly, I would say the Beatitudes kind of summarized by saying, what is right living? What is right living in me? What is right thinking? What is right thinking in me? Um, let's read Matthew 5. I'll read and you can follow along. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let's pray together. Father, Hear the prayer of your saints. Where there is suffering, God grant them grace. Where there is danger, God grant them protection. Where there is fear, God grant them peace. Spirit, hear the prayer of your saints. Bless them as they bring your gospel into the world. Fill them with overflowing love and compassion. Keep them safely in your capable hands. Jesus, hear the prayer of your saints. Lord, gift them your new mercies every morning. Lord, heal their hurt today as they look to you for tomorrow. Lord, help us to live for your kingdom come and your will being done. Amen? 
So this last beatitude um, is a hard one. You know, one of the things I've been realizing about Jesus is that he's a real buzzkill. You know, you seem to think you're good and then he seems to think like, but I care what you're thinking right now. You know, you seem to think you're doing good and he cares and he says, but what is your motive behind this good thing you're doing? And the reason I think this beatitude is a buzzkill is that usually we want things to have, you know, to end nicely. I think we've all been brainwashed by the, the childhood books we read about happily ever after. And this beatitude is not necessarily a happily ever after. And there's something in our spirit that gets unsettled because we've been so trained for happily ever after that you get to this beatitude and you're like, Jesus, really, this is how we're going to end? You know, blessed are the persecuted? However, I think one of the things that's important about this beatitude is to realize that Jesus is not just painting this composite picture, but this is kind of his final statement that like, if you are going to live like me, if you are going to look like me, if you are going to work for me, you will be persecuted. But what is this persecution that Jesus is talking about? You know, one of the things that's been emerging in scholarship, um, not just in theology, but in all different fields, is this idea of centering. This idea of centering, you know, what it's really about. So, for example, I don't know why this came in my head, but we're going to go with it. Um, if I was leading a, a conference, uh, a fire conference, you know, first of all, I know nothing about fire. You know, I've never studied fire. I'm not a firefighter. So it would make sense that if I was leading a, a conference on fire, that I would first do what? Talk to firefighters. And even better than that, to have firefighters lead the conference. Also, it might be good for talk about people who um, not just fight the fires, but people who've been victims of the fire, because they're going to have different perspective. So the idea of centering is if you have this subject, don't forget the people who are most impacted by the subject. So a lot of times we're experts on things, but we never talk to the people who are most um, impacted by these things. So I think one of the things that we need to hold on to about persecution is to remember to center it on Jesus. The persecution Jesus is talking about here is directly involving him. Ecclesiastes 1.9 is one of my favorite life hacks, is one of the, the ways I get up every morning and know, you know, this is great. But Ecclesiastes, the writer says, what has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. What I love about this is that it gives me a, a chance to breathe because life always seems new or there's always something new to catch up on, something new to learn. But the idea here is that, no, there's really nothing new under the sun. Now, even our newest ideas are built on what? Old ideas. There might be an update. There might be an update for today. There might be a new way of looking at it. But all these things that are coming at us is nothing is new under the sun. And what I like about this is that if we have a God who's the same yesterday, today, and forever, I have a peace that I don't have to be overwhelmed by what comes at me because God knows it already. But I also have a peace that the people around me can help me see that way. So if we are going to center persecution on Jesus, that means that we must look at it through the lens of what Jesus is saying. I think that's very, very critical in understanding this beatitude this morning because it's not just because Jesus was persecuted. A lot of times people read this and they're just like, yeah, we need to understand persecution because Jesus, our Lord and Savior, was persecuted. That's true. He was persecuted. He was beaten, he was broken, he was bruised. He went to the cross based and, and for our sin. Jesus was persecuted. But Jesus isn't just talking about him here, he's talking about us. 
But it's also because there's nothing new under the sun. For those of us who read about Christianity in the world, for those of us who have family members, for those of us who've been impacted by persecution, it can seem very hard. The yoke can seem overbearing. It can seem like we're all alone. But we must remember that there's nothing new under the sun. We must remember that our God has been here before. We must remember that we stand not alone but with saints since the day of Jesus who've stood up for him. We must remember that in every persecution, God is working for glory. Amen? We center Jesus here when it comes to persecution because the ones who are persecuted are persecuted because they're doing God's work. A lot of times I think we, we, we make persecution kind of like the stepsister of, a, of that's the devil. You know? You know, you stub your toe, that's the devil. Is it really? Or are you just a little clumsy? Life is really, really hard. You know, you get fired from your job and you're like, well, that's the devil. Well, maybe if you had showed up on time and not cussed out your boss, you know, you wouldn't be fired, right? Not everything is the devil. But I also think it's important for us to remember that that not everything we go through is persecution either. The persecution Jesus is talking about is, are you doing my work? Are you moving my kingdom forward? It's not about you stubbing your toe. It's not about you getting fired. But are you making yourself vulnerable to me to be used by me? Because if you're being used by me, you will run into opposition. You will run into this persecution. So the first thing we must understand about persecution is, are we doing God's work? Because those are the people he's speaking to. The second one is, you know, when people insult, persecute, and say evil against you, it has to be because of Jesus. You know, we moved to seventh grade in the middle of the school year. Um, Parents out there, this is a terrible thing to do, right? Don't do it. But we had to. You know, we couldn't afford the rent in North Jersey anymore. It's a little expensive. Uh, We got a new job, and it was time to move. So we moved in the middle of the school year, and, and I remember my cousin and I, we were super excited. You know, we had been a couple years in a town where it was two black families in the entire town. So everything we did, eyes just followed us, right? So when we went to visit Philadelphia, we saw all these black people. We're like, this is wonderful. You know, like, this is amazing for us. So we were really, really excited until the first day of school. The first day of school, I remember this, and it's over 20 years later, so it's not searing or anything. But the first day of school, um, I remember my aunt got these outfits, you know? And we looked at it, and we're just like, where did you get these clothes from? And, and, and who do you expect to wear them? You know, it's just like, we know middle school. We're now trained in middle school. This is going to be brutal. So we talked her out of the outfit. But what we couldn't talk her out of are these sneakers. My aunt worked really hard, you know, but instead of listening to us on the purchase of sneakers, I remember she bought these white high-top ponies. And if you don't know what pony sneakers are, that's because you shouldn't. But we bought these white high-top ponies, and I had an old pair of Nikes that I was kind of stringing together until I could save up money for a new one. And I was like, no, no, I'm good. You know, I'm good. It's the middle of school. It's not even Easter. You know, Easter, you got to wear your new clothes. It's not even Easter. I could just sneak in there. But my aunt was sure, you have to wear these ponies. And I remember looking at her and saying, like, I'm not going to win this fight. But today is also going to be Gehenna. I remember putting on my white ponies. I remember, you know, I'm a pretty social person, but this was probably the one day in my life I was not interested at all in being social, you know? I was just going to sneak in there as if it wasn't the middle of the school year, as if I wasn't the new kid, as if I didn't know anyone. But I was going to sneak in there and just go to my seat. I remember making it to 10 minutes through homeroom. And then somebody spots my bright white shoes, and they're like, oh, what are those? And I'm just like, they're just sneakers. 
And I remember for the whole day, everyone I walked by not only noticed my ponies, but they had something real, real smart to say about these ponies, you know? But I was strong. I didn't cry, just on the inside. But here's the thing about that, though. I felt insulted, but I wasn't persecuted. That is not the persecution that Jesus is talking about. Yes, it felt terrible. Yes, it felt awful. But that's not persecution that Jesus is talking about. I was not doing kingdom work by putting on those shoes. In fact, I think I was hurting the kingdom by putting on those shoes. But that's a different theological argument. You know, the persecution Jesus is talking about is also not choices we make. For example, a vegan comes to our our family get-together. You might hear some things that, you know, might not make you feel good. You might hear some things because we're just like, who are you? Do you know the Lord made meat and meat is good? Why are you not eating meat? You might not feel good because everyone in my family will comment on you not eating meat. But that's not persecution. I remember when Shell and I were first married, we had another family get together and, and we decided to go out for ice cream. It was real hard. And, and, and so me and my cousins, we just try to top each other. You know, whoever orders first, the next person has to get more toppings and, and more toppings. And, and the more chocolate, the more fixings, anything you can come up with, the better, right? So it's always good to go first if you care about calories because it's what happens. And Shell doesn't know this family rule, right? So she goes up there and we're topping each other and going back and forth. And she's like, can I have a, a small cup of grape sherbet? And people always wonder, like, you know, you're black, you're white, you're African, she's from Central Pennsylvania. What are, like, the cultural differences? This was one of them, you know? Like, she was just like, can I have some grape sherbet? And it was about 25 of us in the Cold Stone Creamery. And I kid you not, from 5 to 35 to 55, everybody's neck just swung. And it was just like, who are you? You know, who orders grape sherbet, right? Again, that probably didn't make her feel good. But that's not the persecution that Jesus is talking about. She was definitely not doing the kingdom's work or doing grape sherbet. Now, here's another one that's a little less funny, but a little bit more real for some of us. Now, there's some of us in this room who order our lives based on a certain political spectrum. There's some of us who see our values in not just candidates, but what they represent, Now, not you, because you're the good Christians, but there's some of us who, because of our political stance, say all kinds of evil against people who don't agree with us or who don't order their their life in our boxes. They say all kinds of evil against you because of what you believe politically. But here's the hard thing for us to understand as Westerners, as Americans. Your political party affiliation and someone disagreeing with it is not persecution. Because believe it or not, your political parties are in it for themselves. They're in it for their political party. They're not in it for you. And they're definitely not in it to make God's kingdom come and God's will be done. I never felt more Anabaptist than in 2008 when I listened to two political candidates back to back. You know, I was trying to be a good Anabaptist, and I'm not supposed to like either of them, so I'm flipping back and forth. I remember the first one said, America is God's great hope for the world, and I shuddered. I'm like, what about Jesus? Is it really America that's supposed to bring God's great hope to the world? And I shuddered. And my first thought was like, well, yeah, you know, that, that's that political party. And I switched to the other channel. And the other candidates said literally word for word, America is God's great hope for the world. And I shuddered again. And I realized that if we're banking on our political parties to bring God's kingdom come and God's will to be done, perhaps we need to be reminded of Jesus who says, I am the Lord. 
I am your God. I am the one you follow. I'm the one you surrender to. I'm the one that you fit your life in my box. I'm the moral authority. I'm the one bringing in the kingdom. Our political stances and the arguments are not us because we're good Christians. We don't argue. We don't yell at people and make them feel bad for political stances. We don't do that, right? But those people who do that, to be on the other side of that and to receive that is terrible. But again, that's not the persecution that Jesus is talking about. Persecution Jesus is talking about are the brothers and the sisters the world over in Harrisburg, in parts of Nigeria, in parts of South America, in the Middle East, in North Africa. It's the persecution of people who simply want to do God's work. And people who are losing not just pieces of themselves or their ideologies, but even their own lives to push God's kingdom forward. That's the persecution he's talking about of people who centered their lives on him. Because here we tend to center our persecution on us. What am I suffering because of my beliefs? What am I going through? And we have to reorder ourselves. And Jesus is trying to in these verses and say, it's not about what you're going through. It's what you're going through because of me. It's not about what you're going through because of the choices you make. It's about whether or not you're going through this for my kingdom. For my children, for my people, that's the persecution that Jesus is talking about. And he knows it'll cost you everything. And that's hard for us because we want to hold on to everything. We don't want to lose everything. You know, another life hack for me is a man by the name of Jim Elliott who says, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. He is no fool or she is no fool who gives what she cannot keep to gain what she cannot lose. The persecution that Jesus is talking about is are you willing to give all of you for me? Are you willing to suffer the oppression? Are you willing to suffer for my glory and for my kingdom come? But the bomb in Gilead, so to speak, the hope also comes when Jesus says, I want you to rejoice Not just in your suffering, but rejoice because what you go through will yield a reward in heaven. Rejoice and be glad because I am God who is with you. Rejoice and be glad because I'm God who will carry you. Rejoice and be glad because whatever you lose, I will give you a hundred times over when you're home with me in glory. And Jesus then does something that's very, very small, but very, very big. He puts every single Christian in line with the prophets of the Old Testament. He puts every single Christian in line with the prophets. And that is something that we take for granted. The writer of Hebrews says it like this. You know, we can go through this whole hall of fame of faith. We can talk about all these people who've done great things in the Old Testament. But God saved something greater for you so you will not be separated from them. Because God doesn't want you to look at them as the heroes. He wants to look at himself as the hero. And he wants to remind you that just like Abraham, you can do my work. Just like Sarah, you can serve me. God unites us with the prophets simply to say this. If you're living to usher in my reign... If you're living to bring in my kingdom, you're just as important to me as Moses who lifted and carried my people out of slavery. If you're listening and bringing in my kingdom, you're just as important as Holder who changed an entire nation by being faithful to God and knowing what he says. 
God unites us with the prophets, and Jesus himself says, reward is coming to you, and you can stand like the prophets of old if you simply live for me. So what does this persecution look like? Well, first of all, it's opposing and harming you because of Jesus Christ. And when we say you here, think of that Old Testament understanding of your heart. It's the harming and opposing of your mind, body, soul, goals, abilities, skills, gifts. I said abilities already, but we'll bring that back again. But it's the harming of the essence of you if that essence of you is living for God's glory. All of us in this room have different gifts. But are you using your gifts for God's glory? Wonderful. You might see persecution. All of us in this room have experience and life stories. Are we using that story to puff ourselves up or to get ahead? Are we submitting that spirit to God? Good, because you might be persecuted. Jesus is saying, if you're willing to give all of you to me, this world will not only like it, they will live to try to destroy you for it. The thing about persecution and the reason I think Jesus puts it at the end and Matthew organizes it this way is simply this. Jesus seems to believe that if you're trying to live and love and serve like me, if all these Beatitudes have painted the picture and you're trying to live that picture, this is simply the final outworking and the final response of you living like me. A lot of times we think that living like God makes life easier, or at least we want to make it life easier. A lot of times we think living like God means all the troubles of the world will fall away. A lot of times we think because I follow God, because I'm good, life should be good. And Jesus seems to think, no, if you're fully living for me, persecution is what you'll face on this earth. Jesus summarizes and climaxes all of the Beatitudes by saying, if you're willing to be poor in spirit, if you're willing to empty yourself of the things of this world and fill yourself with the things of me, you will be persecuted. If you're willing to grieve sin, if you're willing to look at this world and say, no, God says that is wrong, so I believe it's wrong. And if you're willing to stand on that, even people who love you will persecute you because you're standing on God's truth. Even people who love you will persecute you because you're not loving as they interpret love. You will be persecuted if you grieve sin, if you say the world is not as it should be, if you say America is not the great hope for the world, if you say, you know what, I believe that we as people do wrong to each other. If you grieve sin, you will be persecuted. If you try to have the attitude of Jesus, if you love the people on the margins, if you love the people that society wants to leave behind, if you love the people who are not like you, you will be persecuted because we tend to have a tribal, tribal mentality even here in the United States. I go to the people who like me. I go to the people who look like me. I go to the people who agree with me. If you fight against any of those, you might, no, 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 you will be persecuted. If you hunger and thirst to do God's work, you will be persecuted. And this is where it's helpful to dump your political ideologies at the door. Because, for example, there's more in our scriptures about loving immigrants and refugees than about just about anything else. And I don't care if you're on the left or the right or anywhere in between. God calls you to love the immigrant, to love the refugee. And if you're willing to, 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 to sacrifice that political ideology that you're believing in that's keeping you from loving people, you will be persecuted. 
It doesn't matter if you're on the left or on the right. If you love the immigrant and the refugee, you will be persecuted. If you're willing to hunger and thirst to bring God's justice and righteousness to them, if you're willing to forgive, if you're willing to give mercy because you've been given such mercy, people will ask you, why did you forgive and move on? Why can't you hold on to that? If you're willing to be a life, you know, if something happened to you, and if at the end of your days they can say, you know what I remember about her? She was merciful. That's a life lived well. But in giving that mercy, in giving that grace, in being a person who forgives, in being a person who restores, in being a person who reconciles, you will be persecuted. If you're willing to do the hard work of self-examination, you know, we have this world that we want to do uh, self-aggrandization. We want to have not just self-esteem, but to have the self at the top of the charts. But if you're willing to submit to Jesus Christ and ask him, God, am I pure in heart? Am I pure in heart before you? Am I willing to give this up because of you? You will be persecuted. Because to, to do that before God is to humble yourself. To humble yourself is to put God first. And to put God first is to live for others. And the last one is peacemaking. If you live to bring shalom into this world, if you live not just to say the world's not as it should be, but God, how can I help put this thing back together? If you live to say, God, we may not see everything in the future and how it all makes sense, but how in this conversation can I bring peace into this situation? If you live, again, not just for your shalom, but the shalom of God that says, I want peace with you. I want peace with your sister. I want peace with your neighbor. I want peace with your world. If you're willing to work for that kind of shalom, you will be persecuted. Jesus seems to think that if you fulfill these beatitudes, if your life is to usher in his kingdom, if you're growing into the image of Jesus Christ himself, you will be persecuted. Now that doesn't seem like a very hopeful message, but it is. It is because God is with you. It is because there's nothing new under the sun. It is because your sisters and brothers around the world need you. It is because God wants you not to be surprised. And Jesus himself said, do not be overwhelmed by the world when they hate you because they hated me first. How amazing to know that the God who loves us first doesn't just send us out there innocent. He sends us out there knowing what we're walking into. Persecution that we go through like the prophets is simply because you desire that God's reign would reign supreme. It's simply because you desire God's call to justice and righteousness for everyone. Now, I think one thing that's important for us to share this morning is not all persecution is the same. It's something we know, but it's something we must remember. Now, you have your personal experience. I have my personal experience. But our sisters and brothers around the world, they have their own experience about what persecution is, what persecution looks like. The first thing we must remember, because our society, especially here in America, tells us that the I, the self, my story, my truth is the most important thing. Younger me would have said that's a lie from the depths of hell, but now I'm more mature. So I'll tell you, I think that's a lie from the depths of hell. We have to remember that when it comes to persecution, I is never greater than you. My personal experience and what I define as my persecution must not be greater and matter more than you. 
And if we're willing to do that first step, then maybe we'll grow to the second step where we realize that we, what we go through as persecution in our setting cannot be greater than us as the body of Christ. Being members of one another means when you hurt, I hurt. It means when you're broken and persecuted, I'm broken and persecuted. It means when you're giving your life for Jesus' sake, I need to be willing to do the same. I need to not just deny myself, but I need to be willing to do the same. Not all persecution is the same, but all persecution warrants prayer. All persecution warrants us and and should demand us to go down to our knees. Because prayer is simply not just a conversation with God, but it's us uttering our, our utter dependence on God. Pray, not because of persecution, But pray because your sisters and brothers need your help. Pray not just because God hears them. Pray because they need you to hear them and you to go before the throne for them. Prayer might be dependence on God. One of the greatest blessings we have is our access to information. All you have to do is go on the Google and type in persecution of Christians worldwide. I guarantee you within 10 searches, you will find things to pray for, people to pray for, organizations to involve yourself in. The work of persecution is not just knowing what's happening, it's praying for what's happening. It's praying for strength. It's praying for the Spirit. It's praying that God will move in powerful ways. It's praying for yourself. But it's praying for your sisters and your brothers. And this must become a part of your regular prayers. It's not enough to just theologically believe that we're all in this together. But if we're all in this together, you never pray for me. Are we really in this together? If we're all in this together, you never think about me. Are we all in this together? If we're all in this together, you don't know what I'm going through. Are we truly all in this together? Don't just know it. Pray it. Second thing here I think about prayer that's interesting is persecution might be the response to God's work, but our response to persecution must be prayer. Now, I don't make it a business of correcting my African brothers and sisters because they're usually right. My African brother Tertullian once said, persecution is the seed of the church. I've always struggled with that because I've seen people who go through persecution And even as a kid, I'm like, persecution is the seed of the church. Maybe for the living, you know? Like, maybe for the living, because the kingdom can grow with the living. I struggle with that because I was like, are we sure the people who are persecuted are being persecuted? And they're like, yes, I'm going through this suffering. I'm going through this hunger. I'm going through this need. I'm going through this, my life being on the line. Because it's it's for the growing of the church. I think we need to remember, though that this is just one way we've grown. And I think what we tend to do sometimes is, is live for the mountaintop experience. And I think God cares not just when you're up on a mountain, but also as you're walking through the valley. And I think when we think about persecution being the seed of the church, we look at it at the mountaintop, it's just like, oh yes, these people died and then we grew. But I think it has to be more than that. Because our faith is more than a mountain. It has to be the valley too. But here's the thing about Jesus. Jesus only calls you to die to yourself. Jesus calls you to live for him. And no one, 
No one should welcome the persecution that people, we might say all persecution is not equal, but no one should welcome persecution that other people are going through. I hear Christians say all the time, if only we were suffering like they were suffering, then the church in America would grow. That's not true, first of all. And second of all, God doesn't call you to suffer. God says suffering is a result of you doing my work. God doesn't want you to revel in your suffering. God wants you to live for him. Because when you're living for him and the suffering comes, he will help you bear it. God doesn't want you to say, I will suffer, I will suffer for you. I will suffer, suffer, suffer. God would rather you say, I will live, live, live. Because the suffering will come. But if you're trying to live and the suffering comes, he'll help you live a little bit easier. And if you're saying, I will suffer, 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 and your whole life is based on the suffering, you might take your eyes off Jesus, take your eyes off his kingdom come, take your eyes off your sisters and brothers, and only think about the suffering that you're going through. But persecution must be centered on Jesus. Now, did people pass away and people were killed and did the church grow? Yes. But it's important to remember the greatest stories of persecution and the greatest stories of church growth. When it wasn't met with Christians who were willing to be with God in the valley, it didn't stay. North Africa, the Middle East, these places of great, great Christian suffering, because we lifted up the mountaintop experience so much, we lost the, I was going to say we lost the region. So what I'm saying here is persecution might happen, persecution will happen, but are you willing to be a Christian who doesn't just live for the mountaintop, who's willing to be with God in the valleys as well. Persecution, then, never has the last word. It may drive us to our knees. It may cost us everything. It may cost us people we love. It may cost us dreams we have to let die. It may cost us reorienting our lives. But persecution never has the last word. Because here's the greatest truth, or one of the greatest truths in Christianity. We win in the end. We win in the end. We win in the end. This is why we don't have to worry and be defined by our suffering. Because we win in the end. This is why everything we lose here will never make up for what we'll gain there. Because we win in the end. This is why everyone we lose here will not only never be forgotten, but we will celebrate with them for eternity. Why? Because we win in the end. I'd like to invite up Pastor Esty and the worship team. We're going to close with a song that missionaries and, and people who are pushing in God's kingdom around the world have sung for, you know, I guess it's been refurbished, but it's an old song. It's called Facing a Task Unfinished. And as we sing this song, I want you to simply not just sing along with us, but also think about what does it mean to live fully for God? What does it mean to, to have a life that's so defined by living and loving like Jesus that you're willing to face persecution? That you're willing to remember those who are persecuted in prayer every single day? Not just when they come to mind, but putting that into your faith to pray for your sisters and brothers who are being persecuted for the name of Jesus Christ. What does that look like for you? 
What does it look like to remember your sisters and brothers who have survived or who've been impacted by persecution and remembering them in prayer every single day? What does that look like? I'd also like to invite up the pastors and intercessors. We'd love to pray for you. You may be persecuted right now. You may be impacted by persecution. Or maybe you're just struggling with something. Please come up. We'd love to pray for you. But as we sing this song, may we be reminded that persecution never has to have the last word. That the trouble that we go through never has to keep us down. That we may face a task and finish. But thank God who calls us to go. Because when we go, he partners with us to make his kingdom come. Amen. Let's stand and sing together.